I've got a level with you today, and you may be relieved when I do, but I've got a level with you this morning. Uh, do you know most sermons are for other people? Really, they are. Uh, that's what I've found out. That's what I've determined. Most sermons, in fact, about 99% of sermons, they are for other people. That's, that's the truth of it. I get done and people say, wow, what a great message that was. What a great sermon. I wish Bill would have been here to hear that. Or I wish so-and-so would have been here to hear that. In fact, uh, sometimes people say, you know what, that was a great sermon. Can I get a copy? I've got a brother-in-law. I've got to send that to. They need to hear that. Uh, even better is when I'm preaching, as I'm preaching, uh, it's so much for other people, people start looking at those people. Sometimes they might even point a little bit. Aim it over there. Aim it over there. Uh, most sermons are for other people. You know what the, the truth is? The, the Bible's the same way. Most of it is for other people as well. Uh, I'm reading along to the Bible and I say, yes, that's right. Man, that's right. I need to send that to so-and-so. They, they need to know that. Or I'm reading along and I think, boy, if they could just understand, if they could just grasp that. Clearly, the Bible's for other people as well. Maybe that is our attitude. But today, as we conclude the 15th chapter of Luke, as we end this third parable that Jesus tells us here in the 15th chapter, today, the message may be, in fact, it just might be, for us today. Our message is entitled this morning, A Survey of the Self-Righteous Son. Now don't point at anybody yet, but the message is entitled, The Survey of the Self-Righteous Son. We're in Luke chapter 15. Today we're going to start in verse 25 and go to the conclusion of the chapter in verse 32. Again, Luke chapter 15, today verses 25 through 32. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 15, beginning here in the 25th verse, Jesus is speaking. He says this, Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you've never given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I pray, I pray that you would be honored in this hour, that we would glorify your name, that we would exalt the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the opportunity to gather on this day, on this morning. And I pray that we wouldn't overlook the, the command of Christ, that we're to assemble together, and even all the more as the day draws near. I pray that today in this service we would be encouraged, that we would be taught, that we would be trained, that we would be renewed as we come into contact with the living, true Word of God. I pray that you would speak to your people. I pray again that we would take it in and we would have open ears and open hearts and we would truly be changed this morning. 
I come and I pray if there's any in this hour in this service that do not know Jesus Christ. I pray that today, I pray that in the, in the preaching and the proclamation of the word of God and the drawing of your spirit and the circumstance of life that you would bring them to the point that today they would claim Jesus as their Savior. I tell you again, we love you. I love you. We praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to finish the 15th chapter of Luke. And as we do, as we come to the conclusion of this great chapter, I, I want to try and really think about what God has revealed to us about himself, what God has shown to us about himself in this chapter. Now be sure and see that this morning. Be sure and understand that's what is going on. In response to the situation with the Pharisees and the scribe, Jesus, God himself, in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, he really uses some parables to reveal himself to us. He reveals himself, he shows himself to us by laying out these parables. Very simply, he is showing, this is who I am. You want to know what I'm like? This is what I'm like. And he lays it out here in the 15th chapter for us to see. Now, there's a lot to see, and there's a lot to take away from this chapter, but here's what I take away from this chapter. As I, as I survey the magnitude of, of this profound chapter, I see this. You know what? Our God, our holy God, our perfect God, our God of justice, our God is a God of unfathomable, unimaginable, immeasurable grace. That's what I see here in this, this 15th chapter. Our God is a God of ridiculous grace. Let's go back to the context here. Go back to the situation that prompted Jesus to tell these parables. Remember these scribes, these Pharisees, these religious people, they're described there in verse 2. Uh, they believed that there were some people that were so far gone in their sin that they were beyond God's grace. They thought, you know what, these people have sinned so much and they've sinned so grievously that they're beyond the grace of God. Well, in this third parable, they're represented by the first brother. These religious people, they also believe there were some people that because of their religious lifestyle, because of their good lives, that they really didn't need the grace of God. And in this parable, they're represented by the second brother that we're going to look at today. Now, the truth is this. Both of these groups, both of these brothers, because of God's love, are offered his great grace. Now, before we look at the verses, let me say this today. I think it's pretty interesting. It is by looking at the sons, it is looking at these two brothers, it's looking at their lives and their sins that we're able to understand the grace of God. Do you understand that? That's why there's such detail describing these two brothers. As we survey the two brothers, as we look at these two sinful brothers, it is then that we're able to understand the profoundness of the grace of God. However, most of us would rather choose to identify with the first brother. I don't know why, but that seems to be the truth. That self-destructive sinner, we would rather choose to identify with him than this second brother, the self-righteous 
sinner. And for some reason, that's the truth. We won't want to be known as this second brother, this self-righteous sinner. We'd be rather known as the brother that entered into sin and came back and received God's great grace. Well, I'll be honest with you today. Some folks here may be more like one brother than the other brother. But the truth is, all of us are probably somewhat like both of those brothers. And so today, we're going to survey the self-righteous son. We're going to survey the self-righteous sinner. Let's look at our verses, beginning in verse 25. It says this. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. Now see the picture as it continues to develop here. The older son was out working. He was out in the field. He was where he was supposed to be. Now that other son, he comes in from a life of sin. He comes in from a life of disobedience. But this brother, he came in from the field. He was responsible and he was taking care of his business and of the father's business. And he comes to the house and he's been out working. Now I want to point something out here. And it's going to be backed up by the verses as we move through them. But I, I want to back up, I want to, I want to point something out here. And I want us to see this up front as we move into this study today. This self-righteous son, this self-righteous sinner, outwardly appears to be in line with the Father. Outwardly, he appears to be in the will of the Father. He was doing what he was supposed to do. He worked his day and he came home from working. But get this today, it is not the outward appearance that's the issue, it's the inward condition of the heart that matters. Maybe some of us here today, perhaps we would say, you know what, this is me this morning. Perhaps God is speaking to me this morning and I've got the outward appearance down and maybe I've got a whole bunch of people fooled, but I'll be honest with myself today, my heart is not exactly right. Well, we see very soon, very quickly in our account here, it's not the outward appearance that matters, it's the inward condition of the heart. The Bible says, as he comes in from the field, he hears music and dancing. They must not have been Baptists. Look at verse 26. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. Verse 26, he comes in and as he gets near, he hears the dancing and the, and the singing and the, the, the party that's going on. And he, he asks one of the servants, what is going on here? Understand, it was a normal work day. He would have known if there was a special occasion. He would have known if there was something to celebrate. But on this normal work day, as he hears this celebration, he asks the servant, very simply, what's going on? Verse 27. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. So the servant answers, and he says, your brother's home, the brother that left, your brother's home, your dad has started a celebration. He killed the fattened calf, and a celebration is in progress. And that's what he answers to the son. Now, don't miss the picture here that's being painted in this verse. The Bible says 
He is safe and sound. He is safe and sound. Safe means he is out of harm's way. He is out of danger. Sound means he is well. He is whole. Now the report is of the brother. Your brother is home and he is safe and he is sound. But there's a reason that he's safe and sound. The reason is because he has received him back. Listen to verse 27 again. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now this is too good. This is too awesome here. I've got to connect the dots here. Remember the complaint that was made of Jesus. Remember the complaint that was meant to discredit Jesus, that was really meant to to disparage Jesus. In in verse 2 it says, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. That was the complaint against Jesus. That's, That's how the whole chapter started. These religious guys, they say of Jesus, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. He must be some sort of fraud. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. He must be some sort of low life. This man eats with sinners. He receives them. He eats with sinners. He must be of ill repute. He must be of no reputation. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. And those are the words that they use to condemn Jesus. Well, look at this, see this today. Jesus uses their words and he turns them around and he says of the Father, he is loving, he is gracious, he is celebrating. Oh, that we would see his grace because he does receive sinners and he doesn't just eat with them, he provides the barbecue. What an awesome picture Jesus paints. Now they must be furious. Those were their words twisted and put back on. Look at this man. He receives sinners and he eats with them. And Jesus says, yes, he does. He receives sinners and he celebrates and receives them back. They must be furious. They're fuming. Look at verse 28. How interesting the brother's response. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Now the Greek word for angry here is a high level of anger. Really, it's an outpouring of rage. It is an overflowing of wrath. Now basically that word there in the Greek means this. He flew into a rage. He explodes in anger. This guy says, your brother is home. Your dad is starting a celebration. He's received him back and he's safe and sound. And this brother blows into a rage. He refused to go in. Here's my take. Many times when we are caught in a self-destructive sin, when we're caught in an outwardly visible sin, we are quicker to repent than when we're caught in a self-righteous sin. In fact, the truth is when we're caught in a sin of self-righteousness, it's when we are and when I am prone to anger. And some of us are even so bold as to call it righteous anger. And we become angry when we're caught in such a sin. Well, that's this brother. He explodes in anger and he refuses to go in. Now see the father here says that he came out and began pleading with him. 
In the Greek, the word means he began imploring him. So I read this. I have to kind of pause for just a second. I have to sit there for just a second and think about this father. You know this father, you know all that he wanted was the two sons that he loved to love him and to be in a right relationship with him. That's all he ever wanted. He wanted the two sons that he loved and that he provided for and that he'd raised there in his home. He wanted his sons to to respect him and to honor him and to love him. He wanted them to be in a right relationship with him. And now one of them's here and he's come home and the other one's now mad. Think about that father. Verse 29. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. Now back to the survey of the self-righteous son, the self-righteous sinner. See this. For self-righteous sinners, it is about the rules instead of being about the relationship with the father. That's what we see in this survey. For a self-righteous sinner, it is about the rules instead of a relationship with the Father. See, he says here, I've been serving you. The Greek word for serving there is actually the word for slaving. And so he says, you know what? I've been acting as a slave for you. I've been out there in the fields and I've been slaving for you. And I've done everything that you've asked me to do. I haven't neglected a single command that you've given me. Notice how he wants to relate to the Father. He wants to relate to the Father based upon what he's done instead of relating to the Father on who the Father is. Do you see that there? You see, he may have been in that house all those years. He may have been there every night sleeping. He may have gone back out to the field to work. He may have been keeping up all of his duties. He may have been doing all that he's asked to do, but really he's a long way off from the Father. He really has no relationship with that father. Look at the rest of verse 29. And yet you've never given me a goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. The next thing we see in the survey of this self-righteous sinner is this. The self-righteous sinner defames the character of the dad. He defames the character of the dad. See this this morning. See his wicked heart. He says, you've never given me so much as a young goat. Here my brother's home and you know what he did and now he's got a, a fattened calf. You've never given me a young goat. You've never had a party for me. You've never called my friends to celebrate. See what he does to the father here. He questions the fairness of the father. He questions the character of the father. He questions the integrity of the father. He doesn't say, oh, my dad is a loving dad and oh, my dad is quick to forgive and oh, my dad is such a gracious man. No, he questions his justice and he slanders his father. Self-righteous sinner defames his dad. Personally, let me tell you, the more I understand the justice of God, And the more I get the justice of God, and I understand that he is completely just and and not, not just as I am or just as our world is with some sort of agenda, he is completely just. 
And he's correct in his anger towards sin. And he is justified in his wrath towards sin. And he's required by his just nature to, to judge sin and to condemn sin and to punish sin. The more that I see God's justice and the more that I understand his justice, I am thankful for his justice. Believe me, we need his justice. But I want to tell you, the more I understand his justice, the more I understand I love his grace. Praise God for the grace of God. Yes, I want his justice. Yes, we need justice. But thank God for a sinner like me for his grace. Verse 30. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. In the survey of the self-righteous sinner now, we see that the self-righteous sinner points out the sin of others in order to distract from the sin of themselves. That's what we see there in that verse. The self-righteous sinner, he, he points out the sin of others in order to distract from the sin of themselves. Notice this, see this today. That first son comes home and the Bible says that that dad receives him instantly like that. He forgives him and he receives him. The Bible says he restores him. It's like he never left in the first place. The dad restores him. Then he rejoices with him. Notice here, there's no rehashing of where he'd been. There's no dredging up of what he'd done. There's no mention of the far country. Instead, he says he restores and he receives and he rejoices with his son. Look at this wicked brother with hatred in his heart. Notice there, it's very interesting. He says, your son, not my brother, your son. And he ties him to the father. And he's, he's very deliberate in making the distinction. You know what? He's your son. This son, your son, he devoured your wealth. And the son is so crashed, he says, your son. And he did so with prostitutes. And he takes his sins and he brings them back up and he puts them there in the father's face. Let me give you some advice. Be leery. And I'm dead serious this morning. Be leery of a person that's always quick to point out the sins of others. It's a true statement. Be leery of such a person that they can't wait to, to revel and to point out the sins of other people. You see, it points to a heart that lacks the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of the God we serve. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. And he said to him, Son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. Verse 31, we see the self-righteous sinner, this self-righteous son, he may have had the position with the father, but he didn't have the perspective of the father. Now try to understand that. He, he had the position with the father, but he doesn't have the perspective of the father. In verse 31, the dad says, you know what? You've always been with me. I see that. I see what you've done. I've seen that you were loyal to me. I saw that you went to the field and worked. You know what, son? I see that you've always been with me. And he says, you know what? All that I have, everything that you've worked for, all that we see around here, all of it is yours. But it's not because you slaved for me. It's not because you stayed here and didn't ever go anywhere else. It's because you're my son. He had the position with the father. 
but he was missing the perspective of the father. That first boy, he comes back and he says, make me as one of your slaves. But he restores his position as a son. This second boy has the position of a son, but he says, you know what, it's all about work. It's all about what I can do and it's all about what I've earned. And he really says, make me like one of the slaves. He didn't have the father's perspective. Verse 32, but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. The dad answers and he says, but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun, it's just starting to live and was lost and has been found. Two truths from today. First is this. God's grace depends on God and not the sinner. That's the first truth. God's grace depends on God and not the sinner. Both of these sons, they're in need of God's grace. Both of these sons, one of them's out in the distant country, one of them's out there working in the fields. Both of them, because of their wickedness of their heart, they're separated from the Father. Both of these sons act in wickedness and they, they defame the name of the father. But grace was extended to both of these sons. Be sure today, God's grace depends on God. It originates with God. It wells up out of God. It's not dependent on the sinner. Paul says we're saved by grace through faith, lest any man should boast. Grace comes from God. Second truth today is this. Pretty awesome. God's grace reveals his heart. God's grace reveals his heart. Now, I'll just tell you, as I, as I think about this, this is the hardest thing for me to understand as a, as a sinful person. This is the hardest thing to theologically understand. This is the hardest thing to rationally understand. God is holy. God is pure. God is powerful. He is mighty. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. If anything holds together, it's because he holds it in his hand. God is sovereign. God is absolutely just. But do you understand? He doesn't have to be gracious. Yet because he is love, he is gracious. Understand today, God's grace reveals his love. That's the picture of the 15th chapter. His grace shown to us reveals the love of God. See the picture here, it goes full circle. From the one who's speaking the parable, we understand we're to worship God, we're to praise God, we're to be astounded by God. We love God because he first loves us and his love is shown in his grace and we marvel at his grace and his grace is shown in the one who's revealing himself in the preaching of these parables. His name is Jesus Christ. Do you see the circle? God's grace reveals his love and both are evident in the person of Jesus Christ. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. 
For thee all the follies of sin I resign. Listen to this line. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I've loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. And with that, the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke closes. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the truth of your word. I'm thankful for the truth of who you are revealed in your word. I'm, I'm thankful that as we come here to the 15th chapter and as, as we hear the echo of people then and it's the same echo of people now that you know what, some people are outside of God's grace and they're not deserving of God's grace and their sin has put them so far away that you would never bestow it on them, that you'd never reveal it to them. They're too far gone. And then some other folks at the same time would say, you know what, I'm doing okay and I've got a pretty good reputation and I'm a religious person and I really don't need God's grace that we would understand for both of those folks the wickedness of their heart is revealed the need for grace is revealed and then in the midst of that we see our God of grace I'm thankful for your word that reveals who you are I, I pray for us today as we finish this chapter that we've been convicted that outside of God's grace we have nothing outside of God's grace we stand in the justice of God condemned in our sins ready to be cast away from God for an eternity in hell oh that we need God's grace but we also see from the mouth of our Savior a God who loves sinners and a God himself at his own cost and own sacrifice would come and save sinners and that by faith in Jesus Christ, it's extended to me. We praise you. We worship you for your love and your grace. We come now and we begin to conclude this service. So we enter into a time of invitation, Lord. I pray that you would move, that you would speak. I pray that you already have. I pray that you continue to move in the hearts of your people. We might confess our sins, that we might be right with you because of Christ. Pray for some here that don't know Christ, that as they stand, as they see the glorious grace of our Savior, that they might put their faith in Jesus. Pray that you would move in this time of invitation. I tell you, we love you, and I love you. and We praise you, and I praise you, and we submit to you, and I submit to you as my Lord and my Master. I thank you, my gracious Redeemer. I tell you, I love you. I come and just ask that you'd move again at this time of invitation. We lay it at your feet. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.